Thank you, Stephen. Uh, thank you guys for singing loud. I really love hearing that, uh, just the echoes in the gym when we sing the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That's what we're here for today. Uh, so just as a, as a reminder, uh, praise God that we're here. If, the, if there are any kiddos still in the room, you guys are released, dismissed to go and do uh, ministry with your team. And then I've got some announcements before we keep going. So we've got a next steps class after service. If you've been here for a while and you're like, hey, what is the branch all about? What else do I need to do? How do I get more connected? That's going to be immediately following service in the, the conference room, unless it gets too big. I think it's getting pretty big, so it'll be in a different room maybe. But uh, we'll get you connected to that next steps class. Also on the 26th of this month, be a night of prayer and worship. We're going to do that at the BCM building, so in town. Be a great time. Come and worship with us. Uh, a women's Bible study meeting on Tuesdays. Uh, and then if you need more information on that, there's a couple of different ones that are happening. One's in the morning, one's in the afternoon. If you're interested in that women's Bible study, uh, you can talk to Carol or Jan. And uh, if you don't know who those folks are, you can come talk to me or somebody else that's standing over there. We'll get you connected there. Um, and the last one is a tech interest and training day. So if you think that you can touch buttons on a computer, which you are all capable of this, and we need more people to volunteer for tech. Uh, so you can talk to Jared or Liam or uh, Riley, and we can get you connected uh, to be there on the 19th at 7.30 a.m. to help us out. So those are all the, that's all the business this morning. Uh, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into uh, the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word, for every bit of it. Even passages like this where we come to and we sometimes stop reading your scripture and we skip to the New Testament where it's a little bit easier to understand and comprehend. But Lord, I pray this morning as we sit in your word, that you would teach us who you are, that you would teach us your, your loving kindness towards us, that you would teach us uh, your grace. So God, thank you again for all that you've done from the beginning of time to this moment today. And I pray that you would be with my words and that we would know you better as we leave this room. We love you and we praise you. Amen. All right. So, we're in Exodus, right? Last week we we're finished up Exodus 20. We're in 21. So if you're flipping in your Bibles and you look at Exodus 21, you're going to see a title. It says Laws About Slaves. Yeah. So I got to cast the great lot this morning on working with that. Now we have a lot of pictures of what slavery looks like in our mind. I really would love if you could suspend your imagination of slavery of the American context for about an hour and a half today. Just kidding, about 30 minutes today. So we're going to suspend that. That is not the context of slavery that we're getting into, right? So slaves, we have the idea from, uh, from movies that we've seen over the past decades, uh, Django Unchained, that's not the kind of movie, uh, the picture that we have of slavery today from Scripture. Uh, the 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 persecution of African Americans in this country is not what we're talking about today, 
Right? We are talking about slavery uh, that is condoned in a, or not condoned, but is practiced in an agrarian context. It's a different economic system than what we have today. And it, uh, it's the kind of slavery that is the same ethnicity. This, these are things that will be pointed out, right? So these are Hebrew brothers and sisters. They're not uh, taking people from their families unwillingly and putting them into bondage. It's, uh, they're in some sort of debt to their master, right? So they have, if they've been promising a kind of money to somebody, and then all of a sudden they said, hey, I can't afford that anymore, they would walk and they'd say, I will now commit myself to you for this many years, and then that is how I will pay off my debt to you, right? So it's economic, it's, it's a, some sort of debt. Also, we're going to get to a point where women are given in slavery to, to other masters, and that is a way to protect these women, right? So if a father was in an economic situation where he couldn't give good things to his daughter, he would give her to, slave, give her to slavery of a master. They would provide for her, protect her, uh, and be with her in those and give her a family, hopefully. Right? So these are in protection laws. They are completely willing to do so. Uh, they are submitting themselves to a yoke of slavery. And it is still a broken system. I want that to be clear. God's Word, even in this text, knows that slavery, even not the kind that was the American slavery, is a broken system. And so these laws are laws put in place to protect to care for, to show love to the slave, the burden, the lowly in a broken system. So, with that as our overarching theme, is that God is redeeming this broken world, right? I was talking to my dad this week, and uh, he asked, why should we care about this? Why do we read this, and I'll try to understand the context. So I've had a couple of conversations about context with some folks this week, and um, it's so important to understand the context of, your, of the Scripture that we're in because we can quickly jump to application. In the New Testament, it's so easy. We get to, we get to a passage, and we're like, oh, great. It immediately goes from, I understand the words here, and I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it into my life, and I'm going to act out immediately. When we get into a text like this, it's so important that we understand the context so that we can understand what God was doing there, and then we can walk across the bridge of interpretation and land, and how do we apply this truth that was true then and it was good then, how do we apply that truth to our lives now? So even in the context of something where it seems easy to apply, something from the New Testament, I want to encourage you to understand it first in its application then, and then walk across the bridge to application in your life now. Does that make sense? So we're going we're gonna to sit in the context for a while today um, so that we don't get caught up in applying incorrectly. Uh, so the Hebrew people, they have an idea of slavery. One, they just got uh, saved out of slavery. They were delivered from the Egyptians. But they even had a context for slavery before that. We're going to think Genesis 37. Joseph, coat of many colors, you know, he was having dreams, and he was telling his brothers of these dreams. They were upset with him, and what did they do? They sold him 
into slavery. Genesis 39 outlines the abusive nature of Joseph's master's wife, right? She was attracted to Joseph and attempted to have Joseph commit adultery with him against his own will. So they have an idea of, man, what does a bad master look like? They know that. They know what a bad master is. And if you don't have the idea of what a good master is, you will just repeat, repeat, repeat the bad master, right? And so what God is doing here is he's dividing and he's saying, my people will act like this. This is how my people will treat each other, right? Uh, in the beginning of Exodus, right, we have Exodus chapter 1, verses 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So what we'll see today is how God desires that, that the Hebrew people treat each other as image bearers, even those who are in debt in places of low status, not ideal situations, but real ones. We don't live in an ideal world. We live in a real one. And God loves and cares for the lowly and desires for his people to represent that in their relationships. So truly, as Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek because of God's law. So Exodus 21, we're here. We're gonna, there's big chunks of scripture here. So I just want you to buckle in. Now, these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. I really want you to mark that in your brain, right? That's the first law that God says about slaves. That he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, she bears him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters. He shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God. He shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, like an earring, and he shall be his slave forever." When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights." And if he does not do these things, these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So the first thing here, we're going to take a break. The first thing I want you to notice is that God sets slaves up for freedom. The first law about slavery in the Old Testament, in Exodus, is God making a way for slaves to be free. There's, there's this rule of first importance. When God says something first in the scriptures, it should bring us great, uh, it should be like a red light going off. So this law being first about slavery is very, very important. I was talking with uh, Jeff Stoll this, this week too on Friday, 
And he reminded me that in Luke 4, uh, the first sermon that Jesus gives is freedom to the captives. We're going to read that. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he, Jesus, unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing freedom. God is committed to freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from oppression, freedom from the laws and rules of this world. Guys, God is redeeming this world, and it begins with freedom. Love and commitment is another thing that God cares about here. He doesn't want to break up the family, right? So when these slaves are in the care of their master, the master is to honor their family, not to break them up, right? And also, with a good master, you can announce your faithfulness to that master, and then all they are to care for you for your whole life. That master is then a good master. One, we wouldn't want to say, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my family, and I want to stay with them forever unless they were a good master. So God here is incentivizing being a good and a kind master to where the slave would say, you know what? I want to do this forever, right? And then they'd take them and they'd nail an all through their ear, right? And that would proclaim to the master, to God, and to everyone in the community that that slave wanted to be with this master forever. And that whole family would come under that as well. And so what, how does that make sense for us today? We have a good perfect master in Christ. When we pledge our allegiance to Christ, we should commit to raise our whole family in the way, in the rule of Christ. I think also, I was walking the dog this morning, thinking through the sermon. I was like, man, I just feel like there's some application here that I'm missing. And uh, I wanted, this is what the Lord brought to my mind, is that I think some of us have had a moment of Maybe we'd call it a moment of salvation, or you've proclaimed that you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. So you have gone to the doorpost with God, and you have said, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And you said, I've got that all in my ear, and I am for Jesus. But then, as time's gone by, we've gone, and we said, Jesus isn't my master. I'm going to go and serve my phone. I'm going to go and serve myself. I'm going to serve school. I'm going to make school my master. I'm going to make my job, my work, my master. I'm going to make my family my master. My wants, my needs, my desires. And I think that's not just some of us in this room, that's probably all of us. That at some point we've said, I know that I've said that Jesus is my master, that I'm going to submit to him for the rest of my life but we've treated him as if he's not. We've said, I'd like to go be mastered by something else. And so, as we come here today, 
in grateful worship of what Christ has done, come back to the doorpost. Come back home. In God's grace, serve Him as your master. He is good and gracious. The other thing to point out from that passage, again, is that uh, the master was to care for the whole family uh, and, and women as well. So, they are lifted up to a higher place of status than probably the whole regions around them. They are to care, to look after, to protect the woman. Uh, and that is awesome to see that God cares for those image bearers more than, uh, more than sometimes we imagine in the Old Testament. People can use the Old Testament and say, see, God doesn't care about women. But we can look here and say, God values image bearers, male and female, both. We're going to pick up in verse 12. And this is another large chunk. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall give, have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of a slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. What we see here in this passage is that God values life. God cares for his image bearers, all of them, whether they're the same as you, they're different than you, whether they are under you at work or even above you at work. God cares, values his image bearers. He values the outcast, the depressed, the anxious, the drug user, the homeless, the prisoner, the sick, the lost, the least of these. The face of God is turned toward these people to care for them and make sure that they don't go unnoticed or untaken care of, and the church should also love those people. And not just the branch, but Andrew should care and love for those people. 
God restricts our instinct for uh, intense revenge, right? So when we hear eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, imagine this. I'm going to be careful here. Uh, You get punched in the face, right? Jesus teaches uh, in the New Testament that we should turn the other cheek, right? The Old Testament here is teaching that it's a restriction on our intensity to be, to be vengeful, right? So sometimes, imagine, right, you get punched in the face. This is, this is easy. Uh, right. So you are called to not go above and beyond the punch to the face, right? What's really, really hard is for, in our souls is when someone does something wrong to us, is that we want to get them back worse. Anybody feel that in your flesh this morning? Yeah, a couple of honest people raising their hands. Um, there we go, Liam's honest too. We want to get back people back worse than they got us. That's a spirit of vengeance, right? What God is doing for these people who were in slavery, is saying, don't, don't do it worse. Don't get them back more than they need to be avenged. And he's aiming ultimately at the heart, saying, have self-control. There is just punishment that should come for people, right? Because these are laws for how these people should live and interact in a community together. There's just punishment, but the punishment should always fit the crime according to God's law, right? And as we, as believers, are called, we are called to submit to Christ. And we are not to be handing out punishment for others. We are called to love, leave the justice to God, right? Does that make sense as we read through eye for eye, tooth for tooth? Understand it there apply it here. We should have self-control. Again, God commands freedom for the oppressed and the abused slave, right? I think it's awesome to see that the master is all of a sudden, that means that their debt isn't paid back to them fully. If they harm their slave, the years of debt that they were supposed to work towards to get that debt off of the master's ledger is wiped out. So they are commanded to give freedom if they hurt, abuse their slave. All right. Here's the fun stuff. If we haven't had fun yet, this is more fun, right? Verse 28. Super practical for us. Immediate, if apply this immediately. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death. Anybody got an ox? Yeah, I'm trying to, okay, we'll buy meat from Mike. And when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall, be, shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. 
If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. God commands responsibility for the things under your possession. These people are responsible for their ox, for the thing that works and gives them money to live. They are commanded to be responsible with it. And if it goes and does something uh, that is harmful to the people around them, God commands that they take responsibility for it, all right? And he also disallows blame shifting here, right? There's, you have to take responsibility for your actions. You can't push it off to somebody else. Uh, if it gores a male or female, uh, the the slave, if the ox scores a slave, uh, the reason that, if that, that's a question a lot of people ask, like why doesn't the ox have to die then if the slave was uh, killed by the ox, right? Because this is the idea that the, the ox and the slave are working and around in the same place, right? And so it's like the ox pushed a person into a hole or something, and the slave was, they were at work, so it's not like an irresponsible ox. It's like the slave and the ox were both working together, right? And so the, the uh, master is to pay the other master back for his slave so that he can have more work done for him. Does that make sense? I'm leaning in just to make sure I got that. That was a question that some people brought up. So we must have responsibility for the things under our possession, all right? In the kingdom of God, the slave is a brother. In the kingdom of God, he, God, is a good master. His burden is light. He carries the load, and he sets us free. We're not under the curse and mastery of sin. We, don't, we do not submit to an evil ruler who rules by giving us insurmountable, tough circumstances or beatings. God sees us as his image bearers. He values humanity enough to lay his life down for it. Sin is a master like Pharaoh. You'll never be enough. You'll never unbind yourself from pain. With the world, your flesh, and the devil as your masters, you will have shame that shackles your conscience. You'll have bondage that leads to death, sorrow that leads to grief, and an always moving goalpost of what's right and wrong in this world. With the enemy as your master, you will lack the ability to worship in spirit and truth. With the enemy as your master, you'll do things that God says leads you down paths to unrighteousness, a seared conscience, and a hard heart. But with Christ Jesus as your master, you are free to walk in righteousness. You will walk in light and life. You will learn to set people free with graciousness, hope, and forgiveness, and you'll learn to be a person of patience rather than quickened anger. Romans 6, 17 through 19 says this, thanks be to God that you you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, the good master. 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That is how we deal with the idea of slavery. We were once slaves to sin and in Christ because of what he has done on the cross and through his resurrection, we can now be slaves to righteousness with a good master. We're going to continue in Exodus. So we're going from 2133 to 22, uh, 15. So another chunk, and we're going to synthesize this text all together. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration, shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, and they sell the live ox and share its price, the dead beast also they shall share to eat it. Or if it's known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain of the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep it safe and is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has, been put, he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it's for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to the neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. Y'all good? All right, we're breathing. All right, if it's torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and if it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Again, we see crime-fitting punishment. Another thing I want to point out here is that God values people over possessions. God values people over possessions. What happens when a man takes life? His life is taken. 
What happens when a man steals? He must pay back. Anybody remember that was a common theme? Double. So what God is saying is like your life, we don't take life from others. But when we, when we have things and we take things, you get your things taken double. You have to give back more. So what does this point us to? What do we see as something when someone comes under the law of God and they are convicted to do what is right? We see forgiveness and we see restitution. Right? When the law is written on our hearts, we do what is right. We make things right with others. We seek peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we become generous to give more than what was taken from us. There's a story of Zacchaeus, right? When he came to faith in Jesus, what did he do? Everyone that he had stolen from, he went and gave them money. And he gave them more. We are called to make things right that we've done wrong. So, here's a story. I'm not perfect, right? I think Stephen said that last week about him. I just want to make sure that y'all know that I'm not either. And uh, I was walking. Again, most things happen with my dog. I was walking with my dog outside, and uh, a guy came running, not running, he was in his car, he was driving real fast, and uh, I lost my temper at him. I threw my arms up and I screamed, and I was very angry. And uh, it was wrong. I lashed out in anger, and I was, uh, this is about three weeks ago, I, was, I lost it on him. I just screamed at him. And for about three weeks, it ate at my soul that I was not representing Christ. I did not, I was not kind. I didn't show the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, because in my mind, I thought that he was doing something wrong. I was wrong and lashed out in anger. It took me three weeks to walk up to him to apologize. But it was the Spirit of God that gave me courage to be able to go and confess my sin to him and to say, hey, I was wrong and I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus does not call us to lash out in anger. He calls us to be people of peace. And that's, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make things right. We're called to be free uh, of, to, to admit guilt. Right? I want you to know that because of Christ as a good and gracious master, that he is the forgiver of sins, you are free to forgive. You are free to make things right. Uh, it wasn't until I recognized that God was a good master, that I was already forgiven, that I could go and deal that forgiveness out to other people. And I could seek restitution with my neighbor. Because of God's grace for us, we can admit that we have sinned 
We can admit when we're wrong, and we can walk in righteousness with the help of God. So, why does this big chunk of law in Exodus matter to us? I got a few questions for you. Do you think about people in your life as just a part of the system to make your life better and easier? Do you see them as images of God who can serve, who you can serve as unto the Lord? Or are they just a means to an end? Or do you treat them with value? Would you sacrifice your comfort for their well-being or for their good? Do you see every person as someone worth your time, worth your effort, not in order to earn God's favor, but because of God's love for you? We should love those who cannot give us anything in return. And if you're feeling depressed because you feel like no one's looking out for you, turn your heart outward. Start to serve others. If you are if you have pride that your ideas are better than everyone else's around you, and it's turned you into a bitter and lonely person, let the Spirit of God lead you to humility, to value others as more important than yourself. If you're going to family group just to gain friends and take food, take food from others rather than to, to contribute to the conversation, the table, and the growth of others, flip your perspective right? It, that time at family group is also the time for you to go to serve others. Repent. Change your mind. Trust our good master and follow in his footsteps. As Christ is now our master, he is good. He is kind. He's a better master than we could ever dream of. He's the fulfillment of this law. He treats us well. He's like a good father who gives good gifts and desires for us to dwell with him in his house forever. We should reflect that character to every person, low or high status around us. And as the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit writes this law on our hearts, we should seek to live at peace with all believers. We should pray for those who persecute us. And we are not bound to act out in anger or to withhold forgiveness to someone, but we are free to forgive, to love, and we're free to take responsibility for our actions. We are free to repent when we're wrong and graciously accepted back into the family of God. We are free to confess our sins, and we do not have to hide. So this morning, as we go to the table, I want you to remember that Christ laid down his life. Your master laid down his life for you. Pray. Confess your sin to the Lord. He knows it. He knew it. Remember, he's the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He died for every misstep, every intentional sin, every unintentional sin. His body was broken for you. His blood spilled out for you because 
he is a good master. Repent. Do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery to sin, but to live to Christ as your master. And if you are here and you would say, I'm not sure that I have faith in Jesus. If this is your first Sunday, or maybe it's your second, third Sunday, and you're like, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I'd ask you, don't go to the table. Don't go back there and take of the bread and the juice that represents Christ for us. But would you consider that Jesus is who he says he is? That he is God. That he lived a perfect life. That he died for you so that you wouldn't have to live in bondage anymore to slavery, to sin. And I know that bondage to slavery and sin for somebody who's not a follower of Jesus doesn't really sound like or describe what you would say that you're in. But for those in bondage, bondage never looks like bondage. But for those of us who are in Christ, we can proclaim to you that sin is not freedom. The living with sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil as your masters is not free. It costs everything. And Christ has come to set you free from bondage. So if you are interested in learning what it's like to be free and what it means to live in freedom in Christ, there would be people that would love to talk with you over here. They would love to lead you and teach you what it means to follow Jesus, the good, gracious, kind master that sets us free from our bondage. So, believers, as we make it to the table, remember the sacrifice. Confess your sin. You are free to confess it. And repent and live to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this text. I pray that we would follow you in all that we do, that we would remember that you are a good, gracious king, a good master uh, that, that loves to give good gifts. And Lord, part of that good gift that you've given us is life and freedom. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we remember your sacrifice today. Amen.